Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road campus. So um, it is Revival Weekend. It's been really, really good, and it's been an honor to have a team from New Day South Carolina here this weekend. They're some awesome people, and uh, we're really glad to have them. And um, Scott and Stephanie are getting ready to come and share now. Scott and Stephanie Jones were associate pastors here at New Day Kalamazoo before they went and planted New Day South Carolina. And I just wanted to honor them this morning. They've meant so much to us, and um, we just really appreciate them as friends, as mentors. They sat with us when we were having hard times and helped us through it. And I bet if you've been around here for a long time, you could probably say the same. Um, But I know many of you may not know them, but they're so near and dear to our hearts. We just love and appreciate them so much. Um, So we're glad that they're here to share with us. They have a um, just an amazing anointing that God's put on them for the prophetic and for, I think, just a, a deep insight into God's word and how he can change our lives, how to apply that word to our lives. So they're going to come now to share with us, and I believe they're going to introduce their team as well. So would you welcome them this morning? Thank you. That's, that's the sound of our home church. We, we always bring like a shouter with us to shout things out because um, we're used to that now. Um, but yeah, guys, it's so good to be back. It's been a few years since we've been up here. And um, we're just excited to be able to spend this time with you. And it's been great uh, the last couple nights. And of course, we'll be here. We will be here right now. We are here right now and we'll be here tonight. Um, yeah, so let's just bring our team up. And guys, come on up and let's give them a hand. These are some of our leaders from our church. And we're going to pass the microphone and you could just say like a quick hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) My name's Mark Widener. uh, And this is my wife and her name is Ginger Widener. Yes. And we're so happy to be here. Thank you all for being so warm and loving. And um, it feels like home uh, to us. So bless you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And th- these guys head up a lot of things. They head up like uh, newcomers, meals, membership classes, baptisms in the pool, um, all sorts of things, whatever we can throw their way. And why don't you guys say hi to you? Hi, my name is Stacy Page. I am very happy to be here. Um, you guys... It is our yeah. one year anniversary. Uh, we could not, we were so excited when Scott and Stephanie um, invited us to come here. It was over our anniversary and we said, do we want to do that on our anniversary? And we're like, yes, we want to do that on our anniversary. Right. Where else to be on your honeymoon than Kalamazoo? Like, yeah. It's so, the honeymoon. Honey- honeymoon's over. It's the, the honeymoon anniversary. Well, f- you know what? I'm still in honeymoon phase. So I, yeah. So, <laughs> am I? Yes. <laughs> Again, yes. <laughs> um, I'm Andrew Page. Um, I, I've been attending New Day for the past 12 and a half years. And so um, I want to say thank y'all to Kalamazoo because 12 and a half years ago, I had a prayer in my heart that I would have, uh, be able to take my family to a church that can know all of the scriptures and know the fullness of what the Holy Spirit has to offer. 
I have four kids. All four of them have been baptized and given their life to the Lord. And all of that is a direct because y'all said yes in raising up leaders like Scott and Stephanie. And if y'all wouldn't have done that, then my dreams wouldn't have been answered of being able to be a part of a church that loves the Lord, that has life and freedom. So I want to say thank you for being faithful with a gift. And I feel like that we are like, I'm a kid coming back and actually able to bless their parents instead of just mooching off of you. And, um, and so I'm excited about how that what, what y'all have deposited in Scott and Stephanie has totally impacted our family. And we're looking forward to actually giving back to y'all and seeing the Holy Spirit just kind of reignite the fire and what y'all began in us. And we're going to give back so that it can explode even more here in Kalamazoo. Amen. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is the truth. We, we are a product of this house. We are a product of you guys. And um, Cameron Wright is our spiritual father. And um, so, yeah, well, thank you guys for everything you've poured into us. Yeah. And today we are going to be uh, sharing a message. Um, it comes from the story of the book of Ruth. And in order to get in the mood, we just, sometimes you need the story to come to life a little bit, right? You ever, you ever read through the Old Testament, like numbers, and it's like, how long are we going to be counting people? And so, but we just want to help you out by bringing a little bit of life to this, if that's all right. Okay, so I need, my, one of the things we do in our church in Kalamazoo, if we ever go through a book, I... Oh, see, I'm just, I still belong here, guys. It's still home. You know, I'll just say something about that because it's amazing to me how what God is saying to one church, you know, in the vine of being the church universal, we are connected. And uh, last Sunday, I was going to our church service in the morning and I ended up listening to Rick Oldland's church service in um, Blackpool, England, which Cameron was just ministering there. And he gave the exact same message that we had just given at our women's retreat. And it was about vulnerability and letting your walls down. You know, this has been a season where we've all kind of put walls up this last couple of years with the stress, with the intensity, with the politics, with the whatever. And sometimes you can just toughen up, put walls up, go into a kind of an avoidant mindset. And yet God is calling the church universal to come in close again, to come back to him. And we had just preached that message last weekend at our women's retreat. And then I'm listening to Rick Oldland's church in England. He's using the same scriptures and it just struck me. You know, we are connected in the most mystical way. And so there you go. Kalamazoo, South Carolina, we're all connected, right? Okay, so one thing we do in our church is um, when we go through a book, I um, pick upon un unwitting and unwilling volunteers to mime while I'm reading. And when we are doing a series, people actually try and fight to sit at the back. They're like, oh no, we're going to get picked. So I'm going to pick on our own people though. So we'll have, um, you can be Naomi, uh, come stand over here, Ginger, uh, Where's Stacy? You can be Ruth. And then Andrew, you can be Boaz. Where are you? You go here. So I'm going to read this out. And these guys have been practicing fervently. No, they haven't. They're just going to, you're up there. Yeah, go up there. So just act this out as I'm, you know the ropes, okay? 
So this is Ruth chapter three. Now, you know the story that the protagonist of this story is Naomi. And of course, as we know, she's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. She's been left with two daughters-in-law. She leaves Moab because there's a famine. She heads to Bethlehem because she hears there's food there. And so on the way, she tells her two daughters-in-law, leave me. It's over. Everything's terrible. It's the end for me. And so um, the one daughter-in-law, Ruth, says, no, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to stick with you. And this is a book about loyalty and faithfulness. And I love this book. And um, it's also a book about legacy because you see that later on, the um, great, great grandson of Ruth is David. And he has that same loyal trait in him because even though Saul is on his case, he won't betray him. Loyalty passes down family lines. We cultivate characteristics in our lives that pass on to our children and our children's children. And so here we are. Uh, They're about to, uh, they're back, sorry, they're back in Bethlehem. And providentially, Ruth has ended up in the field of Boaz. Another theme of this book is that providence comes out of our trials. Even when difficult things happen, God works it for the good. And so we're now in Ruth chapter three, and this is what happens. One day... Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Remember to face the audience, guys. Come on. <laughs> now, now, Boaz, with, whom women, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he is finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying and then go over and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lay down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly and uncovered his feet and lay down in the middle of the night. Everybody say at midnight. That's important. We'll come back to that. Something startled the man and he turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are my guardian redeemer of our family. (laughs) The Lord bless you, my darling, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger man, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do all for you you have asked and my people in the town will know you are a woman of noble character although it is true that I am a garden redeemer of our family there is another who is more closely related than I who oh, sounds like the medical commercials stay here for the night and in the morning if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer good let him redeem you but if not surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here till morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And she said, no one must know. Oh, 
And he said, no one must know <laughs> that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And she did. And he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. And then he went back to town. Now, when Ruth came back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? And she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled. Very good. Everybody give them a clap. Excellent. All right, so that kind of gives us some, some lead into our story today, and you know, if you were to go back, we're, we're really going to be speaking out of this Ruth chapter three, but if you go back and read through, the beginning of the story is Naomi, uh, is, she ran from a drought, you know, there was a drought in Bethlehem. And, um, or in Ephrath, which is the town they're from next to Bethlehem. And so that's why they ended up going to Moab in the first place. And everything falls apart. Everyone around her is dying. Her husband dies, her sons die, and she's got these two um, daughters-in-law. And she tries to send them away because she's like, look at what you want, you will never have if you stay with me. You know, like you will never find a husband if you stay with me. I can't give you one. I'm too old. Even if I had children right now, like what are you going to do? Wait around for, like, for that? So in order for you to find fulfillment, you have to get away from me. And she kind of just sees that her whole life has, you know, fallen apart. And she's, she's just going to head back home. She hears that the drought is over. And, um, and I will say, this is in the time of the judges. And that's what it looked like. That's just what life looked like back then. <laughs> that's from a, a very, very early iPhone when the cam cameras weren't as good as they are now. And, um, but Naomi's life is kind of like a desert. Right, And it's like everything that had been living and had promise is gone, but something is about to happen suddenly for not only for Naomi, but for Ruth and for Boaz. These are all people whose prospects have died up, uh, dried up. And it even seems like Boaz quite possibly did not have a previous family or children. Because what he says in this chapter, you're like you're kind, you've shown kindness to me. And it seems like these people who have been going along and it's like, there's nothing there, but God is going to do something suddenly. And this is the uh, Atacama desert in, in uh, Peru. It's one of the driest places on earth. And it's about a thousand miles long. It's big. It's a big desert. Have you ever felt like your life was a big desert. You know, a little desert, you could just cross through it. If it was only like 10 feet across, it's like, I don't mind having that much desert in my life. But if it's 100 miles, so oh, maybe we could do it if it's 1,000 miles. But in this place, if the rain comes, suddenly the guy disappears. That was in the previous slide. I don't know why he's there. But this is the same scene. And it just begins to get 
absolutely transformed and covered with flowers and covered with blossoms and deserts all around the world. If it rains, they just get covered in blossoms, right? And it looks like there's nothing there. And then suddenly everything changes. And so what I want to talk about is that with Ruth and with this story, it goes from her saying, you know, Naomi's saying to her, like, this is never going to happen to uh, suddenly now it's going to happen. This is never going to happen to now, now. And we see this language in the chapter where suddenly Naomi, Naomi says, tonight he will be at the threshing floor, right? Tonight. And then Ruth goes and she's hanging out with Boaz and Boaz says, okay, wait, there's another redeemer who's closer than me. In the morning, I'm going to go to him and settle this business, right? And when Ruth goes back home to Naomi, Naomi says to her, he will not rest until the matter is settled today. And so all of, all of her prospects are gone. And now everything is changing suddenly. And you guys, sometimes we are living in a place where it feels like things have dried up. But God can turn it around suddenly, in a day, in a moment, everything can change. Um, we were looking at our son, Isaac. He is all about music. We did this fast, praying and fasting recently. Stephanie asked him, what is, it, what is the thing that you want us to pray for? And he just said one word, because um, he's got the Michigan gene. So he's, he just said music, you know, in a monotone voice music. And um, she's like, well, what do you mean? Like that you would be like good at music, that you'd be anointed, that you'd like have gifting. He's like, yeah. So it's like, okay, <laughs> those two words, we're going to pray for that. Well, what Stephanie didn't know and what Isaac didn't know is that about two hours before that, I was in a prayer meeting, just we're praying for the church and praying for whatever. And suddenly the Lord speaks to me, and he says, you need to buy Isaac an amplifier now. And there, there had been this, this Mesa Boogie amplifier that we were looking at and we were researching, but I don't know about you, but for me, like when you're busy, it's like, yeah, we need to get that done, but okay, you know, it could turn into days and days could turn into weeks and sometimes weeks turn into months and you're like, you're just about to get around to it. And, but the Lord says, you need to do this now. And I was like, man, I'm so busy. But within 24 hours, we had one. And I, cause I mentioned it to a friend, he went online, he found one that was close by. We had to drive a couple hours and within 24 hours of the Lord speaking, he had the thing that he wanted. And God said, you need to get this for him now. This is important for his success. This is important for who he is and who he's going to be. You need to do it now. And when God speaks, things speed up, things happen and things change. And God, sometimes we're in that tough spot, but that's not what it's going to look like, right? We have promises from God. Isaiah 9, 1. I love this verse, but suddenly, everyone say suddenly, suddenly there will be no more gloom for the land that suffered. Just think about that for a minute. No more gloom. Have you ever witnessed gloom? Have you ever tasted gloom? 
Have you ever felt like you're under gloom? It's normally like February 28th, you know, in Michigan. In the past, God made the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali hang their heads in shame. But in the future, those lands will be made great. They will stretch from the road along the Mediterranean Sea to the land beyond the Jordan River and north to Galilee, the land of people who are not Israelites. It's talking about us, basically. Before those people lived in darkness, but now they have seen a great light. Who's he talking about? They lived in a dark land, but a light has shined on them. God, you have caused the nation to grow and made the people happy. And so out of Naomi's life in the midst of the gloom and the desert, everything is going to turn around and out of her story comes Jesus, right? Where the gloom is brought to an end and the sun is rising up and blind eyes are healed. I mean, what greater turnaround is that? Revelation twenty two twenty. he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And we're looking forward to a suddenly that is still to come. That whatever gloom is left untaken care of down here is completely gone. We need to remind ourselves of these things in the days that we live in. First Corinthians fifteen fifty one. behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Everyone turn to someone turn right now. Just turn and look, make your eye twinkle so they can see how quick that is. That's pretty good. Ray, I think you, your, your eye twinkled really quickly. So Kathy, you're, you're lucky. You just get to look at Ray's twinkle all the time. Maybe she'll share that with the rest of you. Your spouse doesn't have a twinkle in their eye, but you can get it back. Okay, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. You guys, he wants to do something that is sudden and he wants to take what feels like difficulty and move us into something that is much different. Now, the other part of this story is that Ruth meets uh, Boaz at the threshing floor. How many people know what the threshing floor is? Threshing floor is the place of, um, of hardship. It's spoken of in the Bible many times, but it's also a place of transition. You know, it's a, it's a place where uh, something that is in its raw form gets transformed into a refined product that's ready. You know, in the natural, it was, it was just part of processing the harvest. And, uh, you know, they, they got to take the grain and, and they've got to do all these things. And there are four stages of threshing to take the grain and make it ready for market or make it ready to eat. And the first stage at the threshing floor is, is called threshing. And um, yeah, and this requires either beating of the husks. I just want you to close your eyes and picture if this has ever happened to you. Beating the husks with a stick or using a toothed threshing sludge 
or crushing the husks under cattle hooves or wheels of a cart. It's like, has that ever happened to you in life? Yes, it has. And it doesn't feel good, does it? But there's this papery stuff on the grain that you don't want to eat. And you've all had one in your bowl of oatmeal. It's like, and you, every time you think, why can't they get this stuff out? You know, well, imagine if, if they just left all of it on and you had to just, just chew on that stuff like a cow separating it in your teeth. And, um, but when we hit this stage of the threshing floor, we just think, what the heck is going on here? Because wasn't there all of this good stuff? Like, wasn't there a day where like good stuff was happening and there was like the ground had been plowed up and these seeds planted and, and the Lord brought the former and the latter rain and something started to grow. And we're like, man, this is going somewhere. And then it's like, it's, there's a harvest coming and, and, and it's like, man, this is so amazing. Yeah. All that stuff is true, but this is the next step. Threshing is the next step in the process. There really were seeds planted and the Lord really did water those seeds and there really was a harvest, but this is the next step in the process. And even as we're looking at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, you look at, didn't God speak to Abraham? You know, what about that stuff? Didn't God speak to Moses? Didn't they come out of the promised land? Weren't there good things happening? And then you look at the life of Naomi. This is the genealogy of Jesus. This looks like a low moment in the story, right? And she's living in these times of judges with Gideon and Deborah. And there's all of these things going on with prophets and kings and nations that are right on the center stage and yet totally in the background, unknown to anyone is the genealogy of Jesus Christ developing through the lives of ordinary people as they obey and follow God. And no one even knows it. And we live in a day where probably more than ever, we feel the urgency to be in the spotlight, even with, you know, the development of social media. And yet in the quietness of our own lives, God is bringing about a story. Boaz's mom was Rahab, right? She was, she was the harlot that was in Jericho, the city that they marched around seven times and blew trumpets and the walls fell down. So his mom saw the walls fall with her own eyes and she felt that rumble. She saw, she would have witnessed the whole taking of the promised land and the miracles that God had done. That's Boaz's mom. What a, what a spiritual heritage. And of course, King David is their great grandson, but they're kind of in the middle there where it's like, things look like they're going to dry up. And I'm telling you, sometimes we can look back and see some great stuff. And of course we believe God's going to do great stuff in the future. But how many times do we feel stuck in a spot where it's like, man, what is happening right now? 
will hold on because if we cling to the Lord, he is going to bring about his plans and no one can know by looking on the outside what God is going to do. Because if you looked at these people's lives, if you said, let's pick who's going to have the Messiah, where's that line going to go? You would not have picked these people. You would have picked Gideon or you would have picked Deborah or you would have picked Samson or someone whose might was on display. So the second stage of the threshing is called winnowing. And this is where they, you know, it's all separated now, the grain and the chaff, but it's all mixed together in a pile on the ground. And this is where they scoop it up. This is what Andrew was doing so well in the production today. But they kind of scoop it up and just throw it up in the air a little bit and let the wind carry that paper away. And it's like, if you look at the story of Ruth and Boaz, they've been through this crushing and then they go through a time where everything is up in the air. They come back into town. Naomi's like, where are we going to live? Where are we going to work? How are we going to get food? There's nothing planned out. There's nothing worked out. Everything is up in the air and the things that are not solid start to blow away. Have you ever felt like everything's up in the air? Like you want to fight to, you know, get it all figured out. But sometimes we have to allow God to put us up in the air, put everything up in the air and trust him to remove the stuff. That's just a distraction. The stuff that needed to be removed all along. We don't like loss. We don't like that, but sometimes we've got to allow God to do that. The third is sifting. This is the same type of thing that Jesus is talking about when he speaks to Peter and he says, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And this is where all the bits that didn't get removed in the winnowing. Now there's an even finer process of sifting to remove this stuff out. That is not part of the intent when you planted that seed and you're going to have a harvest and you're going to make a loaf of bread and eat it. You never thought, I just want to chew on some chaff. You always, that was always from the beginning. It was always part of the plan that that stuff that was a part of the growth process was going to get removed, right? Cause you didn't want it stuck in your teeth in the day when they didn't even have floss. There was no floss. Just think about that. And then the fourth step in the process is bagging it up and making it ready for market. And we see that in this story that, you know, the sifting comes because Boaz says, wait, there's another, there's one final hindrance to our plan. There's another redeemer who's closer. And he says, tomorrow we're going to sift out this last impure part of the plan. And he does that. And then it's all in the bag. It's all done. And they get married and they have a baby and everyone's story is redeemed. And these blessings are being spoken out over them. And the blessings are being spoken out over Naomi by all her friends. And these people's lives that looked like they were just stuck in the desert and going nowhere their stories are completely redeemed. Everything has completely turned around. And 
no one knew it then except God, but King David is going to come out of this family. And eventually Jesus Christ is going to come out of this family born in the same town. David's born in the same town. Jesus is born in the same town. And what they had sown into in that place, the faithfulness of these very ordinary people becomes the most extraordinary thing of all. So Naomi and Ruth were on the struggle bus, but they didn't know that the struggle bus was going somewhere. Are you on the struggle bus? Don't get off. The struggle bus is normally going somewhere. At the beginning of 2020, the Lord spoke to Scott and said, watch now the threshing floor for the body of Christ. And the last two years has been a threshing floor. And so this story comes alive for all of us in one way or another, but there are some prophetic aspects to this story and how they point to our relationship with Jesus redeemer. Just as Boaz became Ruth's redeemer, Jesus is our redeemer. And there's certain things in the universe you can just count on. One of them is gravity. So if I'm up here and I'm going to drop this bottle, what's going to happen? Are you sure? How do you know? What if it doesn't work? Well, let's try. Okay. So that worked, right? Listen, redemption is that sure. The redeeming love of God can be counted on as much as what you just saw took place right there. So here are some things I want to pick out today. One, the first point I want to make is that Naomi wanted to find Ruth a home. It says one day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Can you do the clicker for me? Where is the clicker? The clicker is here. Oh, oh, did you do it? I love this. It's like something about this church. There's like multiple points for technology. It's great. Well done guys. Good job with the technology. My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. And you know, this is kind of the human condition in the sense that when Adam and Eve were put out of the garden, they became homeless, not just physically, but spiritually. And there is a kind of homelessness that we feel sometimes in this world. I remember when I was 17 years old, Um, I had done something that was quite naughty and I was in trouble with both my mom and my dad. And I remember standing at the bus stop in this little village that I lived in England at the time. And I saw the bus kind of just coming around the corner on this country road. And this thought went through my head and it was the only time I've ever had a, a really suicidal thought. But I thought to myself, if I just stepped out in front of that bus this would all be over and I wouldn't have to feel this horrible. I just really felt like I didn't have anywhere to go. My mom was upset. My dad was upset. They were separated anyway. I just felt everyone was upset with me and I felt really lost and I didn't know about Jesus. And it was only weeks after that, that I was on the streets of uh, the nearest city to where I lived, Liverpool, and a young man came over to me on the street and preached the gospel to me. And it was really just weeks later that I knelt down on the floor in the spare room of my home 
and said the sinner's prayer, and I came home. <laughs> I really came home. <laughs> and sometimes we just feel really homeless. And we need to come home again. I love Deuteronomy 37, 27. It says the eternal God is our home, our dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And some people see Naomi as a type of the Holy Spirit. And the spirit of God is saying, I want to bring you home. And sometimes we need to come home again in our Christianity, right? We need to be at home in God because that's what Jesus has done for us. The next point I want to make is that Ruth's story became one of redemption because of the kinsman redeemer. Now that phrase kinsman redeemer is the word goel in Hebrew. And I'll read you some fun facts about it. This is something that was a provision in the law. The kinsman redeemer was responsible to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. That's Leviticus 25. He was responsible to be an avenger of blood to make sure that the murderer of a family member answered for the crime. That's in Numbers 35, 19. See, God cares about this stuff then and now. He was responsible to buy back family land that had been forfeited. That's Leviticus 25, 25. And he was responsible to carry on the family name by marrying a childless um, widow, and that's Deuteronomy 25. And so the, this is all to do with getting back something that has been stolen or lost. And I will tell you that God really cares about this stuff. This is the whole point of Christianity. You know, Mark and Ginger come here. So you have, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden and, um, no, Andrew, come here. So they, they were with the father Come and stand with them. You know, they belonged to him, right? They belonged to God. They were his kids. And, and Adam and Eve were kind of tempted away by a deceiver, right? And they were drawn out of the garden, cast out of the garden, and a curse came on humanity. So now there's a separation. And God cared about this so much that he sent his only son, to come, and, and it says in Galatians, and we can read this right here, put this up, Scott. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the Lord by becoming the curse for us. So he sent his only son to, to absorb this curse. And then this is how in Christ we become redeemed. We get brought back. And now look at that. We're all back together again. Isn't that nice? Let's give a clap. Molly, can you click through the slides? So go, go to the next one. Go to the next. Oh, right. Okay. Scott, can you go back there? And I'm just, we're not just not going to have slides, guys. Today is no slide day. Just everybody give a cheer. Okay. But I will throw my pen instead. <laughs> Listen to me. God cares about the things you've lost. He really does. And just like Scott was saying last night, sometimes when you're stuck on the side of the road and your car's broken down, you don't always get the same junky car. Sometimes you get something even better. And I want, I want to prophesy to you today, the name of this church at its very beginning was redemption. 
And before I came here this week, the Lord said to me, I am about to manifest as kinsman redeemer in this house. Redemption is coming. And I don't know what that's going to look like for each one of you, but he cares about giving you back the things that have been stolen from you, the things that have been lost. And that's the whole strength of this narrative in this book. And this is your God. The next point I want to pull out of this story is that in order to access this redemption, Ruth had to take a posture of humility. You know, this idea of, uh, you know, Naomi saying, well, put your perfume on and get some nice clothes on. And, you know, we can have this idea that she was insinuating that um, Ruth should somehow be a little bit provocative and go and seduce Boaz. That was not what was meant. This um, attitude of going and laying at someone's feet in that way was understood in that time to be a declaration of absolute servitude. What Ruth was saying is, I have no hope without you. You are my only hope. And I think to participate with the redemption narratives in our life, we have to come into a place of humility. We have to come into a place where we say, God, you really are my only hope. And that's the beginning of redemption. That's the beginning of the redemption narrative. And we see that at that moment, Boaz threw his garment over Ruth. Here's a fun fact that in the Jewish wedding ceremony, even in some places today, there is a part in the ceremony where the groom throws his garment over the bride. And it's uh, an expression of, I'm going to look after you now. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to love you. And one of my favorite passages in the Bible is Ezekiel 16. And we see God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel saying to Israel, I saw you when you were, you know, like a squirming child naked in your own blood. And I saw you and I decided that I was going to come and I was going to cover you. And I was going to put my garment over you. And we are covered in Christ as we humble ourselves before him, as we come close, he covers us. Now, I want to make a comment here about my, my personal eschatology from this story. You ready for this? No, it's going to be good. Don't worry. Ah, dear eschatology. That's something that's fun, isn't it? But here's something I really, really believe that Ruth and Boaz got married after the harvest. And I believe there is a great harvest coming before the wedding feast of the lamb. There's my eschatology in a nutshell. (laughs) You can all breathe a sigh of relief. (laughs) So in this story, there is this little moment uh, where Ruth is laying at Boaz's feet and it says about midnight, he woke up. And in the scriptures, there is a, 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 a theology of midnight. This point of midnight recurring in the scriptures and midnight represents a paradigm shift. It represents a time of change or transition. It normally indicates the worst moment that's about to brighten up just how Scott was talking about. And so we see at midnight, Boaz awakened and he saw Ruth. It was at midnight that um, the Lord spoke to Moses and he said, about midnight, I will go out into Egypt and I will strike down the firstborn. It was at midnight that God began to act. 
We see uh, in the story of Samson, it says it was at midnight that strength came upon Samson and he took the city gates and put them on his shoulders and walked up the hill with them. It was at midnight when Paul and Silas were in the jail and they started singing and worshiping. And it said, then the earth shook. And as the earth shook, the prison doors bust open and all the prisoners started running out. And in Matthew, it says at midnight, the cry of the bridegroom will come. Have you been in a midnight time? Have things been dark? Have things been difficult? Well, be encouraged. Things will brighten up. Amen. That's a good word. You should be happy about that. I'm going to have a Stacy come on up. Do I have time? What, what time do we finish Cameron? Soon. Stacy, where are you? Come on up. And Stacy has an amazing story of redemption. I hope you picked up that this is her first year anniversary weekend. And so Stacy, tell us a story of redemption. So it's funny, even as Scott and Stephanie have been talking today, I'm like, oh, wow, I really do. Uh, this story of redemption resonates even more with me today than it did as I was preparing to talk about this. Um, but like Scott was talking about never and now, and I had a never that lasted for 41 years. Um, when I was little, I was one of those girls that I just longed to get married and have a family. And my elementary school friend and I would write out a list of 12 names of kids that we would want to have. And we would just play house and we would talk about these um, husbands that we were going to have. We would pretend that they were at their jobs and we were watching our kids and we just had a great time. And in my head, I just thought, yeah, this is, I think that this is what God's called me to and this is going to happen. And probably when I'm like, you know, in high school, I'll meet this person or maybe like 18, 19, 20, it's going to start to happen. And the years start to go by and it's not happening. And as I'm meeting boys who are amazing, God-fearing, wonderful men, God is saying, no, no, nope, he's not for you. That's not right. No. And this heartache started to come into my life of God this is the, you said that you give us the desires of our heart and this is just not happening. So fast forward, I had gone to the school of ministry in Toronto and got out. I was 19 and six years later, I'm 25 years old and I've gone to a university in North Carolina and I've started to decide maybe all this stuff that I'm believing, not just because of marriage, but I start to go through a skeptical phase. You know, have we all, we've gone through skeptical phases in our lives. And I start to question whether I really do believe in this God. And I really want to fit in with my friends and I want to be cool. And the cool thing is to maybe not know what I believe. And so I go down that road and I remember having a thought. There was a guy that I was working with and he was cute. He didn't walk with the Lord. And I thought, you know what? Oh, and I, I need to mention this. I had made a commitment to the Lord growing up in church. I was going to save myself for marriage. It was very important to me to walk in purity. So I'm 25 years old. I've never been with a man and I, I feel like, oh, this, I've got this great testimony in my life. This is going to be so wonderful. But here I am 25 and I have this thought, 
you know, I really want to be in a relationship with someone and God isn't saying yes. And I could just do this myself. I could just have a relationship. So I say yes to this thought and I start dating this guy and we have a relationship and I lose my virginity and I get pregnant and he does not want to have this baby. And he says, Stacy, I can't afford to have this child. This is not, this is not what I want. And I know that this isn't what you want, but you need to have an abortion. There's just no way around this. You need to have an abortion. And I'm, I, we're driving in the car and my relationship with God obviously is in a very bad place. And I remember looking out the passenger side window and just seeing the Lord in my mind's eye. And I said, wow, I'm actually sitting in the car right now with a man and a baby and they're not mine. I don't get to have them. I don't get to have the family that I want and I've sinned against you and I've, I've completely lost the testimony that you gave me and my family and I've completely sinned against you. And I went along with him and I had an abortion and my life with the Lord, I, it tanked and I cried out to him and I felt like there was no forgiveness for me because I knew better. I knew 25 years better that that was not the way to live my life. And God brought me back through a series of just reading scripture and worship and I just poured my heart out to him and there was nothing to give. I said, God, I've actually ruined any future family that I would ever have because it's now it's built on this horrible sacrifice that I made. So my life is ruined and I brought him that and year after year, I just started bringing that to him and his forgiveness and his redemption. He's so sweet. He's just so sweet. And that, that forgiveness story is a whole other story that I could go into, but I won't, I won't go there now. But just for you to know that God so fully helped me know that I was forgiven, that he restores my life to him, that I am his daughter, that I am redeemed. So now fast forward a few years. Now I'm in my thirties and now I'm thinking, well, I am forgiven and God loves to redeem wow, there's not a man. I, God still doesn't have this for me. And I'm also thinking, you know what? I probably blew it. God isn't going to have somebody for me because I really actually deserve to not ever have a family. And I get to the age of 41 and little do I realize that Andrew is going through kind of a hell on earth of his own um, where he was in a relationship, he was married, and it is never God's will. It was never God's will for their relationship to fall apart. But sometimes we don't have control over what's going on. And he found himself in a situation that he was not expecting. And, um, and all of a sudden, it was like the suddenly starts to happen. And we go to a leadership retreat and I'm there at the leadership retreat and God had started speaking to me. It was back in the summer, the year before I started talking to Andrew. And I felt the Lord say, I need you to repent for not believing me. And I said, God, how it's been 41 years. How could I possibly believe you for? And he said, you're going to miss 
this blessing because you're just going to think it's, it's life, but this is my blessing. And so I started to look, I actually started to have expectation and I was talking to Stephanie and I was just feeling like something was happening and we're at a leadership retreat and Andrew and I ended up sitting at a, a card table and playing cards and he started asking me a bunch of questions about myself and I thought, he, he seems more interested in me than anybody else around the table. Why, why isn't he talking to anybody else? And this suddenly of God and all of a sudden here is this man who is so bubbly and so joyful and everything that when I would look at different people, I would say, oh God, I love these qualities and I love these qualities. And suddenly here's this man who has these qualities, but also just the kindness of the Lord. And so all of a sudden, I find myself getting married last year. It's November 5th. <laughs> oh, yes, he has four children. <laughs> and I find myself being a, a stepmom, a bonus mom to four children with this man. And I feel the redemption of the Lord. And so my, my encouragement to you is no matter what phase of that story you find yourself in, maybe you've just sinned the greatest sin of your life. Maybe you haven't quite gotten there yet. Maybe you're in that skeptical phase. Maybe you're in the place of trying to come back to the Lord and get his forgiveness. His mercy is there and it covers you and he is good. Okay, well, we're just going to respond to that. And I know that we should be dismissing any second now, but Bill gave us the go ahead just to do a, do a, a, a prayer of response to that. And um, so I think we'll get things started in prayer. We'll, we'll dismiss at some point and then we'll, we'll just be available up here to minister after that as well. Is that all right? How many people feel like, man, I need some kind of suddenly... Your desert might not be a thousand miles across, might just be 10, but it's like God cares about all of it. And um, so Stephanie, would you just lead us into a prayer of redemption? <laughs> I will. Let's put our hands on our hearts. Let's just say this, Father, I thank you that you see me. You know my story. Some of you are on the threshing floor right now. You know, the good news is that that very site of that threshing floor was the literal physical location where David built the temple. And what you need to know is that praise and beauty is going to come out of your threshing floor. It's a place of intimacy. So God, for those that are in the thrashing floor, come and be close right now and impart hope and encouragement. Father, for those that have lost things that were dear to them, whether it's finances, whether it's relationships, friendships, a sense of belonging or a sense of purpose, for those that feel homeless, Come close now, Father, and let the everlasting arms reach to each one of us and draw us close and let us feel at home in you right now. 
And I want to ask, Father, for hope to come and wash over us. I know that hope deferred makes the heart sick. I pray for those who are just sick of heart right now, who are just weary of waiting and sick in heart. Come and manifest yourself as healer now, Jesus. And let your grace come for each one of us. Thank you, Lord. And if you feel that you need to kind of come home to God again, and you've been, you know, I said at the beginning, we can all sometimes go into a mindset of avoidance when we've gone through hard times. If you've been avoiding God, just tell him you're sorry. That's all it takes. We just need to be like Ruth. We just need to lay at his feet and say, I'm right here. And he'll do the rest because it was Boaz that got up the next day and started putting everything back in order. And it's God that puts things back in order. He just needs your yes. So just say this, Jesus, I humble myself before you as much as I'm able. I say yes. And now, Lord, would you come and manifest as redeemer for each one here in each unique situation where redemption is needed. Come and manifest and act on the behalf of your people here, New Day Kalamazoo, as kinsman redeemer. By the power of your blood, you are our only hope, Jesus. Amen. Just, I have a, a redemption testimony that Stephanie, the earring that you didn't even know you weren't wearing, your daughter found in the bathroom. Wow. So. Someone praise. Someone give him praise. We're going to hand over to Bill to close out, but afterwards, our team's going to be up here for prayer, and they are all experts at walking through difficult seasons but holding on to see what God brings in the end. And they're going to stand with anyone who would like prayer and just bring their faith to combine with yours. Amen.